This is the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, insight, and perspective for members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. It is Monday, January 8th, 2024. Welcoming Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist. Thanks, Danny. And Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management. It's great to be here. Thanks. And thank you to all the listeners that have come back week after week. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend, colleague, or a family member. Heck, even share it with an enemy. We really enjoy making these, and your listening and spreading the word means a lot to us. So let's dive in. And actually, Todd, do you want to give us a little bit of a look through the windshield as to what's coming up for the week ahead? Sure. My favorite part is the outlook and the whole kind of premise of SWAT. Monday, we got consumer credit for November, expected to be a big jump. I like to equate that to the oil of the economic engine. Again, it's hopefully an uptrend. Uh, Tuesday, we got the small business optimism index for December. And we have Thursday, Friday, big days for CPI for December and PPI for December. Hopefully not looking for any major surprises there, but the surprise I wouldn't have is the the impact it would have on the Fed and, and the likelihood of them not raising rates or lowering rates in March. So, Yeah, it is just one data point, so hopefully they wouldn't overreact to it, but you never know. Sure. So why don't we start with strengths while we're on on a roll here? Sure. I think one of the big strengths was Friday's employment situation report. It beat a lot of expectations. It was 216,000 headline payroll gains, although there were some back month revisions. And when you kind of look at population growth and just economic growth in general, the basic run rate for the economy is around 100 to 105,000 payrolls as far as what you'd kind of want if you're at like cruising altitude. And that's actually what we got back in October after these rather significant revisions. Uh, I think it's also a good cautionary tale as to why you don't want to take the initial release at face value because they will likely revise these numbers. And pretty consistently over the last year, the revisions have all been negative. And I have found that very fascinating. You know, it's funny you say that because I had a question just for you. And that was, in looking at this recent report, what would you anticipate for revisions? Because this report gets all the headlines, Mm -hmm. the initial one, but people don't tend to pay much attention to the revision. So... Sorry, keep going. No, uh, yeah, I would expect, actually, if the last 12 to 13 months is any guide, the revision will likely be to the tune of around twenty to 30,000. So it could be a below 200,000 headline number, which is still good, right? So it's a bit of a rebound from the October little lull where it got to around 105,000. But in terms of the industries that are most susceptible to revision, I would suggest it is actually in the service sector. A lot of the strength has been in the what we would call acyclical parts of the economy. So it would be like, the steady eddy parts of the economy where education, healthcare, government, employment, things like that. Um, Those are probably not going to be revised. It's more likely going to be like with leisure and hospitality. It could even be with like information technology, professional business services. So more on the service side. And in fact, after the employment situation report came out, it was about like an hour and a half later, the Institute of Supply Management released the service Uh, sector index. And the employment number in there plummeted. It went from growing to contracting at a a rather rapid pace, a pace that we haven't seen in a long time. And it was fascinating listening to 
the head of doing the survey talking on Bloomberg because he was trying to say, well, you know, this could just be seasonal because with service sector activity, leisure and hospitality, you see layoffs and all that. And I was scratching my head because they seasonally adjust that number. And he should know that. He should have known better because, yes, you do typically after the holidays, right, retailers, they'll start laying people off. You also, after Christmas break, sometimes hotels and that, they have a little bit of a a slowdown. But they adjust for that in these numbers. And so I was really perplexed as to why he would uh, be saying something that is really demonstrably false. <laughs> you, know, you know, what's interesting about that is that the layoff aspect and in, in in, in after the holidays is probably really not occurring as much as people would or economists would have expected because the labor market still has this sort of relative tightness to it. Yeah. If I can go on sure. with that, the labor market private sector side of it, of the 216,000 was up. 164,000. That's actually a good sign to mm-hmm. me that the private sector really pitched in. It was only expected to be 130,000 increase, and it turned out to be 164. Tying in with that, and I like to always put a market element to this, and you know what it means for client portfolios and so forth is the margin side of it. You know, and then we're talking about the Fed, and we're going to talk more about the Fed. But in terms of strengths, while we're sitting in that category, margins are actually probably going to be improving. We're down in 21-22 as a whole for the S&P 500 and actually could see some improvement. Now, the part of that that is must be discerned from the data is our margins improving because costs are coming down. And we're talking about inflation. You know, which prices are coming down, the cost prices or the revenue prices? And in the margin work we do in the fundamental work on the companies that end up in the portfolio, that's what we decipher. And so I can already picture in a spreadsheet what section that is in. But that's a really important element to this, that the margins are going to improve. Earnings are on an uptrend. So that's a strength after being, as you know, and we've talked about it before, in a downtrend in a trophy area back in September and, and October and so forth. So looking for improvement in earnings in aggregate there across the economy and the market. So I think that even though we have earnings growth modestly higher, you got margin growth improving. Mm-hmm. So That's uh, one of the things that I've been seeing in some of the broader macro data as well. And also with the surveys is the cost cutting, right? So as you point out, you get margin improvement because is it the revenues going up? Or is it the cost going down? And a lot of businesses have already done a lot of the cost cutting. We know that interest costs have gone up, but for a lot of businesses, they have termed out or locked in these low rates and things like that. And one of the headlines from last week that I wanted to get your take on was with Carrefour. So I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's that big European grocery chain. They own a number of stores where they are no longer going to be stocking Pepsi co-products, which isn't just the Pepsi, the beverage. They also have, you know, I think like Doritos and things like that because they're pushing back on the price increases. And so if you think about the supply chain, so you've got Pepsi producing it. They've been trying to get massive price increases. Carrefour is finding it challenging to pass those on to the consumer. And so now Carrefour is pushing back, saying, we're no longer going to stock it on the shelves. And they're putting up signs saying why that they're doing wow. it. So it's a publicity campaign. Too yeah. Now. So the, uh, you know, the consumer staple type products have this pricing ability. 
and pricing power. And, and so that's where that, I think, is coming from and that they have that ability to increase prices, but now you can only increase them to a point. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an interesting way that to, to com- combat that. The other side of it, though, with wage pressures, wages having gone up, and as you mentioned, the cost cutting and, and the cost of capital having gone up, <clears throat> that you've got, you're, you're sort of at this hopefully peakish mm-hmm. area in terms of price increases on the cost side. One of the strengths wanted to list is that the cost of capital comes down, that improves margins as well. There's, some, there's a number of elements that will improve uh, the margin profile going forward, and that's one of them if rates do come down. And it's not saying that the tenure is coming down, mm-hmm. it's the Fed funds rate coming down, but that there's a reason for that in Fed funds rate cuts is there's slowdown in the economy or they want to preempt something. Uh, We'll talk about that later, but that'll improve the the cost of capital picture for these companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, let's pivot to weaknesses, which uh, I would say that we had a lot of strength with the employment situation report, idea of a soft landing. I think some of the weakness is what we've been seeing in the market as far as, you know, the traditional Santa Claus rally, the last five days of the trading year, first two of the new year. We ended up, I think, losing 1%. If you look at, I, I believe it was around like December 22nd or something as far as if when the clock started ticking and then it ended on January 3rd. And so we've seen that weakness, uh, some downgrading of some of the big tech stock names. Seems like maybe the market was also getting a little ahead of itself with the holiday cheer that Powell had spread when uh, with his press conference and with the pause, the idea that they might do a cut in the future. And so now we've got the New Year's hangover, right? And so the, the hangover can be a very difficult thing to deal with, right? Just stay hydrated and take your ibuprofen or whatever it is that you need. But uh, a lot of the economic strength seems to be coming from the least economically sensitive parts of the economy. You know, manufacturing continues to be in re- a recession. In contraction mode, yep, right? In it's, contraction it was, mode. It was up this this past week. Yep. You mentioned services, but manufacturing on Wednesday of last week was up to, I think, 47 and. It's still in contraction mode. Exactly. So it was an improvement, but it's still, it's more like it's not as bad as what it was as opposed to it's actually getting better. And, you know, sometimes it's that rate of change, that direction of travel that really matters. So it can still be in contraction, but is it getting less bad? Services, we saw that with the ISM number drop to around 50 with the headline number. And so it seems like, you know, there is still this tension, this anxiety which is a type of weakness, I would think, in the market as to will it be a soft landing or is it going to start getting bumpier from here? And I think a lot of it, uh, get your take on this, is about the Fed. What is their reaction? A lot of people talk about the Fed's reaction function, which is how do they react to the data? Any guesses as to what they might be doing or uh, as to the messaging around if they are cutting, why they're cutting? You know, that's a great point because you you said the reaction function and and that that actually I was going to pivot and ask you the question are they <laughs> going to be preemptive at, ahead of a potential downturn mm-hmm. and cut rates or are they going to be reactive and to, to answer that question about the, the future the honest truth is I don't pay that much attention because of the 
bottom up in the company analysis and that, and you're and you're talking about quarters. You know, again, where it ties in is in in the in the financials. I'm not that overly concerned of a quarter point drop, sure, quarter point hike, March June. It's it's a lot of noise, and then every year you get the well in the second half of the year. In the second half of the year, you know this is what you know, and it's and it's it just kind of drives me crazy. But the weakness. I think as it relates to rates, because rates tie in with the multiples on the market, mm-hmm. you got a market that finished a year at about a 20 half, 21 and a half times earnings multiple. A lot of that's pulled up by those growthy names you mentioned. We're going to expect to see, and, and, and you know, we've talked to clients that, that the companies we have in there that have been in there for a long time have benefited from the AI hype. That will be a drag on portfolio. So that's a weakness. I'm not overly concerned about it because they're really good companies. Mm-hmm. Now, earnings can still grow, but you're going to have the market contract here at some point, and, and, and that, that part doesn't really surprise me. But, um, you, you know, again, earnings growth, you see a correction. I think you take advantage of that correction. Mm-hmm. The tech names and the companies we have in the portfolio are long-term holds. They've been long-term holds through thick and thin. So that part as it relates to interest rates and the multiple in the markets, it, it, it's not overly concerning what the Fed's going to do. Market, you're correct, it got well ahead of itself on the, the dovish comments by Powell. Mm-hmm. But that's the problem. And, and that's, that's later on, that's more of a threat. But the, the potential for that not to materialize and, and the market not to get four to six rate cuts, but only three after it's already the expectations built into this. Yeah, it seemed like going into this year with the market pricing in about six cuts, the Fed signaling maybe three, um, it was overly ambitious. And we've seen some of the repricing of those expectations. So you'll probably have this tug of war between the Fed and the market with the timing of the cuts. And I think it is really more important as to why the Fed is cutting as opposed to whether they are cutting. Uh, You know, if they're cutting rates to... Uh, because they can, inflation is coming down. They don't want it to get more restrictive by just keeping rates on hold as inflation falls. Uh, That increases the real rate. And so they, I think that could be taken as a positive sign. Whereas if they're behind the curve and they are cutting because things have slowed down too quickly and they're trying to stave off a recession or react to an incipient recession, that's where I think it becomes a problem, right? So it's not just whether they cut, but why they cut. And for the longest time, they've been talking about how they're data dependent. I think the danger with being data dependent is the data always comes out with legs and it's subject to revisions. You know, so it's like driving your car while looking only through the rear view mirror. And that can be a very dangerous thing. You know, at some point they have to start looking through the windshield. Now, I think based on what Powell was beginning to say, it does seem like they're beginning to shift their gaze a little bit more towards the windshield. Um, Not that they necessarily want to uh, preempt any sort of recession, because I still think they firmly believe we're going to get uh, this immaculate disinflation, as some people are calling it, and the soft landing. But they want to stick that soft landing. And so when I look at like historical similarities, um, 1985, 1996, and I would argue even 2019 come to mind, where the Fed was able to cut, they were doing more what they would call fine tuning of rates, and that they were able to pull it off 
these rate cuts without there being uh, an immediate or near-term recession. Now, 2019, obviously, a lot of people would say, well, but you had the COVID recession. Yes, but I don't think that was due to rate cuts, right? I mean, that, that was a, right. an exogenous force here. But, you know, one of the weaknesses, I think, is that still divergence between what the Fed is saying they're going to do and the market, what the market believes the Fed will do. Yeah, you know, I want to, that's a great point. And I want to circle back to that comment about the leg data. Mm -hmm. Where you see it in real time is in earnings. And we're coming up on earnings season. And so you get a feel for a, a key number of companies that we listen to their earnings calls to get a feel for what's going on in real time in the economy. And that's a way to hedge that uh, lagged effect of that economic data. So you're right, if Fed cuts, it's because something's probably gone wrong. Um, you want to move on into opportunities? Yeah, let's. I think one of the biggest ones for me is that if the Fed does cut, their intention right now, as we stand here today, is that it's going to, not because something's going wrong, but because something's going right. And so then I think that creates an opportunity as far as you have that soft landing scenario play out. Look at the markets post-1985, post-1996, kind of the trend that we were on 2019 before COVID hit. That was a fairly favorable time. So the Fed was being able to cut doing this fine tuning or this recalibration of monetary policy. That was uh, back then favorable to bonds. It was favorable for growth. And so I think that could be a kind of a, an opportunity is, you know, you, you kind of have to think which one is going to play out and what's the probability as far as is it that they're going to be cutting because they can, they're doing this fine tuning, or is it because they're cutting because they have to and they're desperate? Right now, I would say that the probabilities subjectively, this is just my opinion, it's probably 75% that it's going to be a fine-tuning scenario as and maybe 25% that it's going to be more this active desperation scenario. And by that, you mean there's going to be gradual rate cuts. Yes. 25, 25, 25. Yes. Okay, right. Speaking of 95 and 99, that subsequent period was very favorable to bonds. Mm-hmm. And it's that cutting puts some firmness in bond pricing. Now, as we sit here today with the yields where they are, and they've come down on the long end a bit, that there's that risk that those yields rise. I don't want to get into threats yet, but, but that's not a problem to me. And what I see in the markets, and what I like about this, Danny, is that you, know, you get two dueling PhD economic people here, but it's really complementary. What I, you know, we got the authority in economics with with Brian. I've managed portfolios for thirty years in, in the research and the trading and things like that. So it's really complementary. But the thing I, I like about that is that 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 the the interaction here, where I'm I'm looking at the opportunities in bonds still. Mm-hmm. Not a worry that rates drift back up to five and five and a half on a 10-year, that just makes it all the more better of an opportunity mm-hmm. to me. But the, the potential total return still exists there for bonds. We we got it in the last couple of months, but those rates should, I mean, we're at least out of the woods as far as the, the zero and 2% long yield. So, and, and I think that's an important point is that uh, some people, they are going to say they're in the higher for longer camp. And by that, they mean interest rates staying higher than what they were post-global financial crisis. Right. And it doesn't mean higher for longer at, oh, it's going to keep going higher. It just means probably not going back to zero, 
Right. So right. I think that's kind of an important thing that when I'm hearing other people, when they're saying, you know, higher for longer, was that a bad thing? Well, no, not necessarily. It just means that you get out of this incredibly distortionary time period <laughs> when you had zero interest word. rates. Yeah, key word, distortionary. The other um, aspect is the growth stock side of it. You know, we have improvement in labor productivity. We have some factors here that if the Fed manages a soft landing is favorable to growth names. And and so while you got this weakness in some of the big tech names, outside of the Meg 7, we call them, we, we could be looking at great opportunities. I don't want to say down cap tech, mm-hmm. but the less popular tech. And, and I think that, uh, that they're they're here to stay, you know, they innovate, they, they adjust to these, you know, higher rates and cost capital and so forth. So I think that there's still opportunity and growth names that are going to benefit from lower potential real yields. So would that be like alternative tech? You know, I remember back to my days in high school listening to music and everybody wanted to say, you know, alternative music it was outside of the mainstream and suddenly alternative became rather mainstream and then it be, went from being mainstream to becoming a meme it almost sure did. these days. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Danny, you might remember before alternative, there was punk rock. I don't want to... Punk begat alternative. I don't want to... <laughs> right, I don't want to <laughs> date you, but, you know, because you're 39 or whatever. Um, the other thing that's important here in, in terms of strength, and we got to get on the threats, is that the, the fact that we have no bubble preceding mm-hmm. this tech sell-off here. This is this is not a 1999. There's these comparisons to 99, but we don't have five years of a, a major inflation in, in tech bubble going on. So in my opinion, I mean, multiples are high, no doubt, at the higher end of the typical range, but not a bubble. So. Yeah, yeah, that's fun uh, because I recall back in around 2012-13, I was being asked by somebody about whether or not treasuries were in a bubble. And I said, well, you have to define what's a bubble, right? I mean, it has to be like an extreme misvaluation where market prices are way beyond what a fair value model would suggest. And I said, if anything, it was more like kind of Don Ho's tiny bubbles, right? And so tiny bubbles are okay. You can deal with those. It wasn't necessarily this well, giant Treasure bubble. market's awfully big. It, it is. That, that's true. <laughs> yes. But this was this was 10 years but, ago. You know, I was right? curious yeah. when you started talking about that, what you were going to say, because I have it in writing. I said that treasury market's in a bubble. The whole bond market's a zero coupon bond, and we're headed for a train wreck with higher interest rates. But what didn't happen, to your point that it's a tiny bubble, is we don't have this any kind of – we had some downgrade in there. We, you know, we had um, – you know, that, but we didn't have this, this ma- default by the Treasury. Yeah. We, we didn't have any major bubble-bursting type of thing happen with Treasuries. Sure. So. Well, I'm sure your newsletter, when you said that it was a bubble, that was much more prescient than, you know, when I was talking in 2012-13. Oh, because yeah. we did have the bursting yeah. of this zero-interest rate environment bubble. I yeah, mean, that, 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 that is true. Uh, yeah, we did that, have that, that, that the bursting of that was, bubble. Uh, so. more like a 2018-19. Yep, see, yeah, timing is everything in fact, I know that. it was December 20. As a matter of fact, I, I mentioned it. But... Um, <laughs> We're good with sure. Yeah, I think the opportunities are good. Yeah, to me, one of the big threats is uh, the danger of the Fed 
fine-tuning turning into that they're kind of fiddling while Rome burns, right? I think, isn't that one of those old sayings about, uh, you know, they're just kind of watching and waiting too long on the data. And so they want to do fine-tuning, but if they don't shift their gaze to the windshield as opposed to the rearview mirror, that they do run the risk of keeping rates too high for too long and then causing a cascade of problems. And in the Fed minutes that came out last week, um, they did highlight how they think like commercial real estate, that at this point, you are going to be getting to get this series of refinancings. There's distress going on there. And so they were calling out uh, like commercial mortgage-backed securities as a kind of a near-term threat. Maybe what that means for uh, smaller banks, regional banks, because regional banks do have a lot more commercial real estate exposure than the bigger banks do. And so I think that maybe one of the threats is that if the Fed, if they're not doing fine tuning, if they're basically either sitting on their hands a little bit too long and still too much dependent on this backward looking data, that you could get transition from a soft landing to something a little bit more uh, kind of skidding the knees right. <laughs> on the economy. And then on the market side, I think that um, this the, the threat is that the market doesn't get the four to six. And even if they did get the four to six, it's not for a good reason. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, word of the day, exogenous. <laughs> Very nice. Did it's I get one that of right? my favorite? Yes, yeah. One so exogenous words. coming from outside of the system, right? So endogenous is where internal. it's internal growth. Exogenous is coming from the outside. So, uh, you know, like covid uh, is would be viewed as a type of exogenous shock, not due to monetary policy, not due to normal economic activity. It just comes out of the blue. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what you get with two PhDs on a podcast. It's the Annex Wealth <laughs> Management SWAT podcast. Let's wrap things up with our headline. Headline strength this week. Biggest strength is solidifying the soft landing scenario with the good jobs report. Headline weakness. A cyclical strength isn't great. Headline opportunity? The pain trade, right? You've got uh, pullbacks. Maybe that's an opportunity if we do get the soft landing. And our headline threat? Danger of the market not getting what it wants. Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. Dr. Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist. Thanks. Thanks, Danny. And Dr. Brian Jacobs, Chief Economist, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thank you. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management, LLC, nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.